This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesday edition. Uh, we are joined today by an old friend, and there's nothing better than an old friend. He's also a former colleague. He's from the great state of California. He's a husband, a dad, a son, and he has a new title, Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy. Welcome, Mr. Speaker. How are you? I'm doing well, Trey. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, the title sounds like a lot of fun, but the job doesn't. I mean, the job sounds kind of hard. How has your life changed at all since you ascended to the hot seat? Well, if you watched, you know, it was pretty smooth getting here. So <laughs> the rest is all downhill. You know, anybody can win the speakership on the first vote. There's only a few of us in the history books that take a little longer. And like most things, if it's if it's worth fighting for, it takes a little longer to get. And so um, now I'm really actually enjoying the job. And um, as you know, we, we've been friends for a long time. And this was at one time an opportunity to have this job prior that didn't turn out right. And I'm much better prepared now. Now. And the interesting part is we had to go earn it this time. And um, I think you savor that more. And by going through what we went through, it really developed more like a team at the end. And I've got a lot of good members that helped me along the way. So the stress I thought that I have with the job, I don't have. And, you know, I'm not running for any other position. I just want to do this job well. And so focused pretty mainly we've got a big job to do. There's a lot of big crises out there. There's some that are short-term, some are long-term, but uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to be in the position to actually be able to do something. You know, people that listen to this podcast or watch the show know that I like you and therefore I confess my bias. I'm not even pretending to be objective. I mean, I can be objective about my friends, but you know, when I think about one of the qualities you have that I marvel at the most, it is your ability to move on. Um, and I think that's something that our listeners would be interested in. I mean, they may never like be in a speaker's race, but they have to move on. And I mean, how you mentioned the members that were very loyal to you and very good to you. But how do you move on with members that maybe did not support you initially or members that voted present. How do you keep a line of communication even with those that never came around? Well, now remember, I'm Irish and Italian, so I never forget and I get even, but no, <laughs> that's joking. Um, one thing in this business, someone may be against you today, but you need them tomorrow. They may be with you tomorrow. Some of them who you helped get elect may be against you in the future. So what really it's hard at certain times because this business is a little different. It's your faith. If you get hung up on all that, it's going to eat you inside. And so you can only be who you can be and you can only treat people the way you want to be treated. 
And I try to do that on both sides of the aisle, even, um, you know, we've got a new minority leader and I sat back and I thought, okay, now I'm speaker. What am I going to do? Am I going to treat him the exact same way Pelosi treated me? And I came to the conclusion, no, I'm going to treat Hakeem the way I wanted to be treated. And I think that's a place that the country would want. Now, I understand there's some people who are never going to be with me. I'm going to have a very honest uh, discussion with them. If somebody had a legitimate beef with with me, I get that too. But the one thing I have realized is um, after you win, a lot of those people change their opinion. Uh, Well said. You know, you mentioned Hakeem, but but it it wasn't just Hakeem, at least when I was there with you, just to give people kind of a glimpse behind the curtain, you were very personally popular. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about personally popular with nearly everyone. I mean, you were really good about inviting everyone to dinner, everyone to the movies. Your office was open to anyone who wanted to talk, Republican or Democrat. I mean, most of your dinners and or movie ventures um, were bipartisan. Is it harder to keep those relationships across the aisle the higher up you move? Um, no, I still keep them. I mean, Kristen Sinema, we, we were out at dinner the other night, right? We both had open. But someone takes a picture, then puts it up on Twitter, like somehow that's an evil thing that we're both friends. And uh, we didn't have dinner, so we sat down and ate and caught up. I think that's healthy for the country. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to change your principles or your philosophy. Um, it's actually mean you're going to be more productive. You're going to be, you might be challenged on them, but it's like anything in society. You're friends with a lot of people. You have no idea what registration they are. And I think the country wants you to fight for your principles, but at the same time, they want you to get something done and understanding who they are and understanding what they are on the other side is very important. And I, and I think you have a better chance doing it instead of demonizing one another. Like I was sitting with somebody last night who's pretty famous, who's uh, he happens to be from Hollywood. He's made some of the most famous pictures and he hadn't met me before. And he sat down and we were just talking. We were talking about different things. And he goes, why is it on TV that I watch? Cause I'm liberal and I would think these terrible things about you, but I'm right now rooting for you. The things you want to do on the Intel committee, the things of you want to turn around to the select committee on China, getting rid of the 87,000 IRS agents because Democrats should like that too. I don't see this to be a problem. And, you know, we, we have friends on, as you did too, you, you had friends on both sides, but at times, uh, sometimes society would criticize them to be friends with you. And that, that's what's wrong. I mean, think about the Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill world. Yeah, I, sometimes I wonder if that world is gone. I mean, nowadays, well, you and I were both friends with a guy named Joey Kennedy from Massachusetts. And every time yeah. I want to say something nice about him personally, look, Joey Kennedy will never vote for either one of us, nor should he. But you can still have a relationship with someone. I feel like I have to apologize to him every time I say something nice about him because I'm sure he catches flack. Let me ask you about two things. Expectations. You yeah. have one half of Congress. You don't have the executive branch. You don't have the Senate. What are legitimate expectations for our listeners when you only have half of one third of government? Well, look, everybody thinks, okay, you just won your speaker. You control all. You don't. But there's two types of things. Government 
the American government is designed that you've got to have compromise. You could pass something out of the House. They could pass something out of the Senate, but you're going to have to go to conference and find where you can have agreement. Then you're going to have to have the president sign it or veto it. So you have to communicate with everybody. But if you look in history, a divided government, it also means you can't have everything what you want, but it also puts you in a place you can get things done. Like I look today when people talk about, look, energy is very important for us and not just to become energy independent in America, but really to be able to sell ours around the world. Well, how did we lift the oil export ban? Well, Republicans were in the majority in the House and Obama was in the Senate and you had to come to an agreement on appropriation bills. So sometimes you can govern there. So you can pass bills out of the House, but maybe Schumer doesn't want to take them up. Well, if you have an appropriation process, you can pass things in there. You can have a debt ceiling negotiation with the president and you can negotiate. Could you secure the border? Could you get um, uh, mandates? I mean, from a standpoint of uh energy independence? Could you spend less money? Could you get work requirements put in? All those things would add up. And on the other side, they want the debt ceiling raised. Okay, we're willing to do that. But could we change our behavior at the same time and get the other things done? I think the country would look back and say, you know what, that's a win-win on both sides. All right. That's a legitimate expectation. I want to give our viewers, our listeners, a sense of judging success. I mean, the media headwind, they're already giving out report cards. I mean, you are two months into being speaker, really, maybe not even that. And they're already uh, giving out report cards. So what is the proper way to judge success, say, at the end of your I mean, to me, I think success is stopping things that you don't agree with. I mean, it's not affirmative. It's defensive. But that's success. How do you think for for a moment? Yeah, think for a moment if we weren't in the position we are right now. And we have a five-seat majority. So at any given time, there's a number of members out. Do you want to stop inflation from growing? So you want to stop Democrats from spending more money? That could be successful. If you want to stop this wokeism from growing, if you want to stop um, the runaway of what they have done, that's, that's victory to start out with, first of all. Now, what can you do on the other end to to not just stop it, but to start changing the course of it, to laying things up. How do you, for one part, we just open the Capitol back up so the public can come into the Capitol. They weren't able to do that. Let the people be part of the people's house. Now, why don't you take some of those committee meetings, which members didn't even have to show up for work. Now they have to show up, so they have to listen to the people. But why don't we take some of those hearings out across the country? So maybe you might not be able to pass everything into law, but could you bring attention to it that stops it as well? Can we bring more attention to what's happening on the border to stop the fentanyl, to stop millions of people just coming across? We have started moving our hearings to the border from the committees. The Democrats tried to ignore it, but they're not going to be able to ignore it any longer. We won the majority. And one of the big arguments was they still had the mandate for vaccine for the men and women in the military. They may have already had COVID. And you know what we were able to do? I didn't have to pass a bill, but when we had the NDAA, I made sure that was taken out of it. We weren't even in the majority yet. Well, that became law. So there are going to be victories as we go, but you're right. First stopping all that was happening, the build back better and the growth of all that. That's one victory. Now, how do we change the course and start winning back the other way? 
We're going to take a quick break. More of my interview with Speaker Kevin McCarthy is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I want to ask you one more ethereal question, and then I'm going to let you get back to work and ask you a couple of what I hope you will find fun questions. But one more kind of ethereal question, you know, John. John Lee Ratcliffe and I were with you uh, that day years ago when, you know, quite frankly, for our listeners, you would have won the Speakers Racing Conference. You would have won it. You would have won it overwhelmingly. But the floor was uncertain. So you withdrew. And that was a hard day for you. And it was, frankly, a hard day for people who cared about you personally. I don't care about the politics. I don't care if you were ever Speaker of the House. People that care about you personally, it was a hard day. Were there moments of doubt for you as to whether you would ever become the speaker? And for our listeners that have moments of doubt, how do you handle those moments of doubt? Oh, there were moments. Could we have gotten there? I didn't think from the perspective, look, the time before we were already in the majority and John Boehner left and it was just handed over to you. So there was chaos and I thought it would bring problems to the conference and I was majority leader, I thought, you know what's best for the whole conference? I don't do this right now. Now, not knowing that I'd ever have the opportunity again, we go into the minority. I've been leader for four years. We have won every cycle while every other Republican entity has lost. The Senate lost both cycles. We lost the presidency. The governors have lost. So why have we won? Well, we had good candidates. We had better policy, right? But it was a very tight majority. So there were more than enough people who would say, no, they'd never get there. I believed, yeah, there were doubts going through, but it's kind of what my father told me. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I wasn't going to give up. I felt there was no reason to give up. We have been successful so far and we're going to fight through this. And we walked in and we had a conference and I won 91% of the vote. So now it became not about me, but the conference itself. So if I was to step back, it wasn't about me stepping back. It was not good for the conference. If 91% of the conference votes that they want this person to be their nominee, but 9% get to tell you, you're never going to be sexful in anything. It would have been easier for me to just step off and, and walk away, right? But I felt at this moment in time, no, that was hurting the conference to do it, that I had to stay in. And when you face adversity like that, I think because of the first time I went through it, you would watch everything that was happening, everything that was being said. In today's society, things get said about you all the time that are not true. You've got to know who you are. If you you know your why, it doesn't matter what other people are saying. It really comes down to before. If if you're in this position, you're worried, oh, they're going to say something bad about you don't run for office, right? If you know where your compass is, if you know what your why is, if you know what you want to achieve, the time they fight you is when you're really making the difference. And so from that moment in time, 
I was just going to stay the course. And I knew it was going to take time. I didn't know it'd take 15, but you, you know, John Legansky, who uh, sat next to me all the way through an interesting thing had happened. He had gone down and he had set next to us from the very first vote, a number of ballots, right? That you could record. And his brother is about to become a priest or ordained minister, uh, I believe. And he sent him a book of prayers. After this was all done, we, he and I were talking the other day. Do you know how many ballots he had set down there? 15. Do you know how many prayers were in the book? 15. So all along, we knew, had we paid attention, how many ballots it was going to take, right? Because there's so many times you have a plan, but God has a different plan for you. And it might not be the same course. I didn't know I'd ever get the speakership back. I thought at that moment, years ago, I wanted the speakership, didn't get it. And okay, all is terrible. But you know what? I think what God was telling me is you weren't prepared for it then. You're much better prepared for it now. And I think going through the 15 rounds kind of proved to me, yeah, this is, this is something I have fought for. This is something better for the whole conference right now. Well, I wasn't going to ask you this question, but you mentioned a name. So I, I'm going to ask. I, I don't watch a lot of C-SPAN because life is too short to watch C-SPAN. But I did watch it in early January, um, more than I've ever watched it before. All the <laughs> People all around the world watched it. It was pretty funny. I mean, I'm thankful to have my crime miniseries back up now. But the floor votes and the speeches and... I'll tell you what, Kevin, none of that moved me. I, I don't need other people to like tell me what you're like or what you would do. But here's what I noticed. You mentioned John Legansky. He was right beside you for every single one of those votes. And that's a name that most of our listeners have no idea who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Natalie Buchanan. Yes. I saw her on the floor uh, right mm -hmm. where she has always been since the moment I met her, which is beside you. Yep. I saw Kelly. I saw Michaela. I saw, your staff is like family to you. Yes. And they share in your grief and they share in your joy. But I think it's a credit to you that so many of those people have stayed with you for as long as they have. Yeah, but it's, it's much like you, too, Trey. I see the people around you. Not only do they leave having working in public service, still work with you today because other people make sacrifices as well. And, you know, part of the going through this race, I was feeling bad for them, uh, for my staff. You know, what if we aren't successful? You know, you think about from that perspective. And so there were ups and downs. There were times, certain days I'd walk back. I don't think we're going to get there. And Legance could be all in and Natalie saying, oh, no, we're going to do it. And there's times they didn't think. And I'd have different friends. I have this one friend. He's a big sports person. And he'd call in and he'd just say, you just win, baby. <laughs> You know? And so he'd say, you know, if this, if this was, if this was a football game, you'd use the clock. If this was a basketball game, they would foul beforehand. And so from the perspective, as I go across the country, I get a lot of people who've never met me, who will admit to me, they watched every single ballot. And they said, you know what? You inspired me because you didn't give up. And, and when you think about it, and someone was doing this introduction the other day and they said, you know what? You applied for an internship and you didn't get it but you became the member of Congress from that. And now you're the 55th speaker, you know, how you make steel 
you bind it together, you hit it and you put it back in the flames and you do it again and again. And it, it makes us stronger, but those around us also make us stronger. And you, you raised an interesting point at the very beginning. It's not just one side of the aisle. I had people on the other side of the aisle say, you know, I was going to go down and vote, but then they kind of pushed you back. But you mentioned a friend of ours, like Joe Kennedy, right? So I called Joe Kennedy the other day, not for something political, but I have a young baby born in California from some of my constituents that have some heart issues and they're down at the hospital and it's not going well. And the, there's one hospital in the country that has a children's hospital that deals with this. It's the children's hospital of Boston. I pick up the phone. I called Joe. He's a, it's, it's a holiday even, you know, and he's got his kids on the slope. And I said, look, I don't know anybody at the Boston children's hospital. He goes, I do. Let me call and they'll call you in 10 minutes. That is why people become friends. That is why people work with each other on both sides of the aisle. It didn't matter of your politics. A young kid needed help. Yeah. And they jumped. He didn't need to take my call. He was literally spending time with his family on a holiday, but he takes the call and then he stops and he does something to help somebody he doesn't know, but he just knows it's a young kid in trouble who I need some help with. Which has nothing in the world to do with politics. And mm. yet it was the political theater, political jobs, or else we would not know one another. I mean, that's that's where we met and how we met. But I'm going to let you go. I'm going to ask you two what I hope you will find um, interesting, fun questions. And then I'm going to let you go back to work. How do, This is what I've always wondered. Not so much how do you stay awake during the State of the Union, because there were moments where it looked <laughs> like you were struggling with that. How do you decide when to stand and when not to stand during the State of the Union? That was always the most vexing thing for me. Okay, I'm going to be very direct. It wasn't easy because I thought I've never sat in that position before, right? I really couldn't hear very well. So I thought, well, it must be the, the speakers. But no, it's just some of the pronunciation. And there are moments I thought I heard something. And so I stand and I'm hoping... I hope I heard the right thing I'm standing about. <laughs> but like you, when you're sitting on that floor, the interesting part, you can hear all the members down with what they're saying and what they're doing. And so it's interesting as we go forward. And the president, when he first came in, and I was very clear, look, I respect the office. I respect the person. I respect the, the office of speaker. And I said earlier, I'm not tearing up anybody's speech, right? And they come and they hand you that speech and they have it in this really elaborate folder. And I'm thinking, as you know, I like to keep political memorabilia. I said, whoa, this is going to be really nice. I mean, think about my grandchildren and how I can show them this. So the speech gets over. And I, I didn't want to read the speech while I was giving it because I thought that would be rude. I'm going to just listen to him so I know whether stand and not to stand. And, you, and I have the vice president next to me and we're going to have a difference of opinion. And so when the speech is over, I think I'm going to get the folder. And they open up and said, we need the folder back. They, they even have a, a little note inside, like you can't keep the folders. Oh, okay. Well, I can keep the speech. So I, I grabbed the speech and they said, no, no, we need the speech back too. So I didn't get anything. I am only laughing, Kevin, when you say you keep political memorabilia because you keep the slippers from a holiday inn that you stayed at. <laughs> so, I, I picked mean, up I picked up two this weekend. I mean, my lord. I mean, the I'm least surprising thing I've ever heard is that you were going to keep something. <laughs> hey, you so, gotta tell your listeners why I keep these slippers though. 
And I have boxes uh, because and boxes his and dream is to one day have a beach house for his great grandkids, and he wants to have slippers there for so the they guests. will remember someone that maybe they didn't even get to meet. He's thinking right. generations ahead of time. That's right, and they have all different names on these slippers. <laughs> you know what's sad? I was actually at a really nice. Uh, hotel for me i'm shocked they let me check in although <laughs> i think at first they were not going to let me check in but i go and i see this nice pair of slippers right by the bed and you are the first thing i thought of <laughs> i thought of well, first of all i'm not going to use these slippers but i wonder if i should get them and fedex them to kevin so yes. he can have his 1000th pair of hotel slippers all right yeah, if but you were you, you will be a guest one day you, you you'll have the beach house before me i'll bring the slippers you just no, let me have the room. either no i will not either oh uh, ter terry wants one come on <laughs> if you were not in politics what do you think you'd be doing where would kevin mccarthy be well i my father was a firefighter okay and I was three seasons as a firefighter and I actually took the test, but they had a nepotism clause that I could not be hired because my father was the assistant chief. So either I was going to be a firefighter or um, I'm not quite sure what else I was going to do, but uh, whatever I was going to do, I was going to work hard at. You know what? I, I think there is a symmetry to the world. Uh, your father um, risked his life fighting fire. And it would do you well to have an asbestos suit when you go to work also. So it's a different kind of fire. That's right. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, I, I have no objectivity. I'm not I'm telling my listeners ahead of time. I don't have any objectivity. I've liked him from the moment I met him. I've only, I only saw you lose your temper one time. You had a thousand chances to do it, by the way. And I think you have some Irish blood in you, so it would be excused. But only one time, and I never saw it on the floor of the House, even when you were going through the 15 rounds of votes. So uh, thank you I, for joining us. And by the way, it was he got mad at Mick Mulvaney. And quite honestly, <laughs> there's not a soul in the world that has not been mad at Mick Mulvaney. Well, I, Mick, Mick said he actually, but I have to tell all your listeners, because I get asked this question a lot, and just so everybody knows, is when Trey was in Congress and still this day, he's one of my best friends, but there, there's four of us who would, would have a supper club. It was Johnny Radcliffe, who was just an amazing man from Texas, Tim Scott, who's better than all of us, and Trey Gowdy, myself. And when I go around the country talking, people know this, and they'll ask me, you know, these are four very prominent people. They've all done some big things in life, and they're Republicans, and they would ask me, who is the most conservative of all four. And I put a lot of thought to it and I, and I analyzed our voting record and John Radcliffe always comes out in whatever score you're like the most conservative. So they say, John Radcliffe. I said, no, he's not. He's conservative, very conservative from Texas. He's not. And they say, well, Tim Scott, you know, in the Senate, the first black American, the house and the Senate. And I said, he, he is conservative. He is conservative. He's faithful. And there I said, it's Trey Gowdy. And they look at the score and they say, no. And they said, how do you rate Trey Gowdy as the most conservative? I said, because of all the years we have gone to dinner, he is the only one who has never bought. So he must be the most conservative. Oh, my heavens. I wanted to, Kevin. I just, I don't usually do you tell have the viewers my wallet what? with me. Yeah, he would pull out his voting card every time and ask him if they. It looks they like a credit card. I thought it was a credit card. <laughs>
It was well, my some members of Congress use it like a credit card with no limit. We're going to try to put some limits on it. Uh, I attribute that to your generosity. Uh, Ratcliffe never bought either. Uh, Tim may have offered. Uh, Ratcliffe never offered. It was your generosity, which is just one more reason that you are personally, look, people can are entitled to their own politics, but personally, uh, you were uh, beloved by people on both sides of the aisle. So thank you for joining us. Give my best to your staff, some of whom their names oh, they, were called today. And uh, I'll talk oh, to you. They soon. love you. They always wanted to work for you and they couldn't get the job. So they settled for me. <laughs> you take care, Speaker. We'll right. see you soon. Take care, Trey. All righty. Bye. And thank you all for listening. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.